If you have a Bible, would you please open it now to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, and our reading this morning upon which the teaching is based is from 2 Peter, chapter 1. Verses 3 through 9. Now, what's going to happen today in today's sermon is uh, last week I began to talk about the implications of understanding what it means that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you, reckoned to you, given to you, not only did he die for your sins, but he also lived a perfect, obedient life to the law of God, which he gives to those of us who look outside of ourselves and trust in him. We didn't really get much time in talking about the benefits of the imputed righteousness of Christ to our life. To tell you the truth, for about the first half of my Christian life, I was half saved by grace. And I didn't understand the fullness of what justification by grace alone, through faith alone, uh, by Christ alone, really meant. I understood the negative side. I understood that he died for my sins. But I did not understand what it meant to have the righteousness of Christ imputed to my life. And I'll explain what that means more in a minute to try to help you see it. And because of that, my Christian life suffered. Um, and I did not uh, fully grasp the benefits that are ours by being united to Christ. And so today we're going to talk about the present and future value of the imputed righteousness of Christ. And Second Peter is going to be sort of a jumping off spot. I'm not going to expound this particular text but use it to talk about the relational benefits and the therapeutic benefits of being united with Christ, having our sins forgiven and his righteousness imputed to us. What difference does that make to us as people? And what difference does it make in my relationship with myself, in my relationship with the body of Christ and others around me, and my relationship with God? And we will, uh, by the end of this message, I hope, have some grasp and understanding of how central the gospel is to our experience of sanctification, of growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear now the word of the living God as we find it in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may, be pro you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, 
and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This is God's word. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, how we uh, enjoy coming together and being exposed and sitting under the teaching of your word. We pray that you would grant to the one who speaks and the ones who listen uh, the work and power of the Holy Spirit to illumine our minds, to soften our hearts, to draw us and woo us to Christ, and we will be sure to give you all glory, for all glory belongs to you alone. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what are the relational and therapeutic benefits of justification by grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone? I don't think I got that right. Justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, for the glory of God alone. What are we talking about? Well, let me explain it this way. Uh, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is the absolute foundation for our growth in Jesus Christ. Um, it is the sustaining energy and power and vitalization and... Uh, stick to that we need in order to walk with Christ as we live out our lives in community. But it's uh, important for us to understand as a foundation what we're talking about. And let me explain it to you this way. This is a pretty good description of what I understood the gospel to be for a long time. Listen to this. Many Christians live in an if I then relationship with God, that is, if I do what is right, then God will love me. If I give extra money to missions, then God will provide me a raise at work. If I avoid sinful habits, then I will certainly be spared suffering and humiliation. It is a conditional relationship that is based on the principle of merit. The gospel of justification alone by faith helps us understand it causes, calls us to live a life called because and therefore. It goes like this. Because we have been justified by faith in Christ, therefore we have peace with God. Because Christ died for us, therefore we are forgiven. Because Christ has fulfilled the law in our place, therefore we are set free from its demands and its penalty. This is an unconditional relationship that is based on the principles of grace rather than works righteousness. 
The difference between the two perspectives is the difference between religion, if I, then, and the gospel, because Christ has, therefore, I obey. The religious life is not the gospel-centered life, and that is what justification does for us. This is how it inserts ourselves, itself into our lives, and this is how God's grace proclaims the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Justification by faith alone is far more than a foundation for the people of God living in covenant community with one another. It is assuredly that, but it's no less the truth that gives shape to the superstructure and serves to bring coherence and consistency to all we do as the people of God. And so, what I want to do next is sort of give you a brief summary of the meaning of justification because I don't want to give the benefits unless you know where the benefits are coming from. And so this is like eight bullet points, and I'm going to try to get through this as quickly as I can so I can get to the benefits. But you need to know what the benefits flow from, and here's justification by faith. Contrary to, let's say, Roman Catholic views, justification means we are declared righteous. Justification is a legal declaration that God declares over those who by grace have repented of their sins, extended the empty hand of faith, and received Christ and his righteousness. We are declared not made righteous. It is an event, not a process. It is a change in our status, not in our nature. This doesn't mean that justification has no connection to progressive sanctification, growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus and being conformed more and more to his image. You can't say you're justified if you're not presently being sanctified, but they are very different matters. You are not justified by your sanctification. Those who are truly justified will be sanctified. The radical and fundamental distinction between justification as a status obtained by faith and subsequent transformation or transformation of one's nature through grace was a profound insight of the Protestant Reformation. Second, and directly related to the previous point, justification is objective. When I say objective, I mean something outside of you. It is not something that happens inside of you. It's not anything you feel. But rather, it is a legal, forensic term that describes God's declaration of you being in a right relationship with him. We don't feel justified when it occurs. Once we comprehend what God has done in Christ, then we are exhilarated and motivated by it. And so the difference between Protestant and, let's say, Roman Catholic and many other evangelical views of justification are unmistakable. Justification is extrinsic outside of it, not intrinsic inside of me. And so justification is a declaration that my righteousness is not inherent. It is something given to me. It's not subjective. It is punctiliar. That is, it occurs in a point in time, not transformative. It entails the imputation of righteousness, not the impartation or infusion of righteousness. 
by imputing or reckoning to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that refers to the active obedience of Christ in our place. Mere pardon, that is just having your sins forgiven, as glorious and wonderful as, as that is, would leave you naked. Scripture tells us we are to be clothed in Christ. In the book of Zechariah, there's a high priest who comes before God and he's in a filthy robe that has excrement on it and blood on it and it's nasty. And Satan accuses him before uh, the, the throne of God. And that priest, whose name is Joshua in the book of Zechariah, receives new clean clothing. If you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have repented of your sins, God has now clothed you with Christ and his righteousness. And that is what makes you okay. That is what makes you fit for heaven. You have been clothed in Christ. Now, listen fast. Justification is both acquittal and acceptance. God accepts us on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. God forgives our sin because of the propitiation or atonement of Christ. Justification is both exclusive and extensive. By that I mean there's no middle ground. You either are or are not justified. And the other is that uh, it's not something you attain by degrees but is a standing that is yours by divine decree. By extensive, I mean that all our sins are dealt with, whether past, present, or future. Justification is both instantaneous. It is a declaration of God. It's not a process. And justification is also uh, irreversible. It is a position and status to which we are elevated. We cannot lose our status of justification by sinning or by rebelling or by being unfaithful to the Lord. All of which, every one of you, me included, will do. But justification has to do with status. It has to do with a position before the face of God. You either are or you are not. But it is something that is irreversible. It cannot be lost. Not because it's contingent and based upon anything we do, but because it's based upon what Christ, God and Christ, has done for us. Now, quickly. You're not listening fast enough. Sixth, justification is received by faith alone, being freely bestowed in Christ. And the sinner is justified through faith on account of Christ. Faith is not a human work that some way, somehow merits justification. We are justified on account of or because of Christ, whose righteousness we receive passively, passively through faith. John Calvin called it naked faith. Nothing in our hands we contribute. Purely the gift and grace of God. By the way, any time you tamper at all, and get it wrong about grace, it just takes one little drop to spoil the whole thing. We are saved by grace alone, and there's no works in it. Now, in sanctification, we uh, have a responsibility by faith 
to be active in our relationship with God. But justification having to do with our status before God, having to do with what makes me okay and acceptable before him, is the beautiful woven robe of the righteousness of Jesus covering my nakedness. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They were naked the whole time. Unless, unless I've misread it. But all of a sudden they sinned and they knew what? They knew they were naked. And so they tried to cover themselves by weaving clothing out of what? Fig leaves. God, in his grace, had an animal killed and clothed them in the skin of the animals to cover their nakedness. They didn't know they were naked until they sinned. But that is a beautiful picture of the robe of Christ's righteousness being given to us all the way in the first book of the Bible. Seventh, justification by faith alone. Uh, but the faith that justifies is never alone. If your faith is genuine, living, real faith, Martin Luther says you're constantly working. And your work has more to do with the vertical, I mean the horizontal relationship you have with people than the vertical. The vertical relationship is settled forever. But now you're free from trying to justify yourself by good works and you have energy to get curved out of yourself and begin to minister to other people. And so, finally, justification is grounded by our union with Christ. So now that we're all knowledgeable and completely aware of what it means to be justified by grace alone, <laughs> through faith alone, and you'll, you'll be given a test at the end of the sermon. What I want to do next is something that I consider very important. And let's begin to talk about the benefits of justification by grace alone through faith alone and the pastoral and practical implications of this particular teaching in Scripture. The first benefit would be, and I said this last week, humility. Humility. The doctrine of justification not only confronts me and you with how broken, how messed up, how sinful we are, but it also confronts us with our complete inability to restore ourselves to any substance of what we were meant to be before the face of God. Humbly admitting the damage that sin has done to you is like standing in front of a once beautiful estate, but now decayed and broken down with no understanding of how to restore it and no tools to do it. The doctrine of justification by uh, faith alone uh, through uh, faith alone and Christ alone devastates what I call self-glory. And all that self-glory is is seeking your own righteousness. Now, none of us probably enjoy being around self-righteous people, do we? I don't like self-righteous people. Do you? I asked my wife one time, I was listening to some preacher riding in my car. He says, you need to go home and ask your wife to point out anything in you that is not honoring to Christ. And so, you know, I got my courage up. And my wife is a sweet sort of just nice person. And so I went home and I said, Pam, 
I want to be a man of God. I want to be a good pastor. I said, you live with me every day. She said, what? I, I said, what would you say is something in my life that needs to change? And she said, and I'm quoting, it's your stinking self-righteousness. It is insufferable. Sometimes I can barely stand to be in your presence. I said, enough. <laughs> enough. It's odious. I call it the halitosis of the soul. The bad breath of the soul is self-righteousness. But we're all filled with it. And we're all so hungry for glory. What we really are hungry for is the glory of Jesus Christ and his righteousness, but we seek it in other ways. A humble person is someone who is aware that justification puts a hammer to human uh, pride. It's like a sledgehammer. It makes a mockery of self-righteousness and self-aggrandizing and self-justifying arguments that go with it. We all like to be right. It's just fun to be right. But sometimes that being right is nothing more than the odious self-righteousness that clings to our soul. Because in the core of our being is that fallen nature that wants to justify itself by being good. And if you're ever going to be a great Christian, forget about being good. It's over. <laughs> you will grow in the grace of knowledge. You will be changed, but you'll be the last one to know. Pride is the source of our sin, out of which so many other sins and bad fruits grow. Pride crushes compassion and sympathy. Are you a compassionate person? Are you always finding fault? Are you always measuring people? Maybe competitively, I want to, you know, I, I used to say that uh, when you went to a Baptist church, they theologically frisk you. Uh, or they, they frisk you for evidence of justification by how many souls you had won to Christ. That was the mark of righteousness. In Reformed churches, it's a little different. We theologically frisk people. And so we check them out and go, they're Arminian. I can't talk to him. He's an Arminian. I can't talk to her. She's charismatic. I can't talk to him. He's not confessional. And you may not know what all those terms mean, but it just means I'm better than you. That's what it means. I am so much better than you. Now, I like to think that anyway, but it's just not true. It's just not true. Pride makes us entitled and demanding. Pride never produces a willingness to forgive. Pride makes you judgmental and condescending and condemning. Pride makes you far more concerned about the sin of the others than you are about your own. Pride is the enemy of self-sacrificing love. Pride makes you picky and easily irritated. Pride forces you to deny your wrongs and to shift blame to someone or something else. Pride makes it easier for you to complain than to give thanks. Proud people are not peacemakers, to say the least. So it is a grace when we understand what the doctrine of justification says about us, who we were, what we really deserved, what our life would have been apart from God's justifying mercies. Pride crushes a believer's fruitfulness. 
And so one of the benefits, therapeutic benefits, let's say in relation to yourself, is personal humility. And uh, by humble, I don't mean groveling. I don't mean pretending, you know, to wear hair shirts and crawl across broken glass and speak in these and thous. What I'm talking about humility is you're just real. You see the realness of who you are. It's authenticity. There's a beauty in it. It's attractive to other people. Other people want to be around you. And relationally, it's necessary. How can we be in the church together if we're all filled with pride? As Joe just taught us in Sunday school, pride is the essence of conflict. Which is why I often make this statement, the meanest people I've ever met were in church. Why? Because they don't understand the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ to our soul. They're walking around naked trying to clothe themselves with their own righteousness. They're weaving the fig leaves together. Second benefit. There are like ten of them. <laughs> but I'll edit. The second benefit would be identity. Identity. That's a very popular wor word in our culture today. Uh, we can hook the issue of identity to the doctrine of justification, but here's a place where it's important to remember good Christian scriptural theology doesn't just define for you who God is and what he has done, but it also redefines you, who you are, as his child. One of the sweet blessings of God's justifying mercies is the new identity that is ours because we are in Christ, forgiven, adopted, justified, eternally loved children of God we no longer have to search for identity meaning and purpose because we already have all of that in Christ and the thing that is so powerful about the identity that is ours as a result of God's justifying mercy is that nothing and no one can ever take it away from us the poster child for postmodern identity seeking uh, used to be, and I'm sure there's somebody who can replace her now. She needs to be replaced. Her name is Madonna. Madonna used to say, I will try on different personalities. I will try on different identities till I find one that works for me. That is postmodernism to the max. You're not identified as a creature made in the image of God, fallen, as it were, but made in the image of God, and you get your identity from who God says you are, not from you trying on a number of them until you find out whether it's sex or whether it's politics or whether it's whatever. Identity-seeking, you'll never find it. When I was a kid, I grew up in the 60s, and that was the generation... It's a pretty cool generation to grow up in. The music, and I know Dave McGuire is going to give me grief for this, but the music of the 60s and 70s may have been some of the best ever. But there were people always, yeah, I hear him arguing. There are people always, we're trying to get our righteousness out of that, aren't we? There are people arguing or used to say to me all the time, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. Do I exist? 
And the right answer to that question is, who wants to know? Think about it. <laughs> People were seeking to find themselves. And so they would get rid of all of their responsibilities. They might divorce their wife. They might forsake their families. They might get in the car and drive to California, the land where you can find out who you are. That isn't how you find out who you are. The way to find out who you are is to discover from the Bible who you are in Jesus Christ. We have an identity. The one who matters the most in the entire universe is absolutely crazy about us. We have been affirmed beyond affirmation. We're not Stuart Smalley, for heaven's sakes. Standing in front of the mirror giving ourselves a pep, a pep talk. In Christ, we are forgiven, righteous, adopted, and eternally loved. It is who we are and who we will be forever. We are freed from having to be something. We are freed from having to prove we are worth something. We are freed from longing for something that will give us importance, prominence, and power. We are freed from being addicted to people's acclaim, respect, and appreciation. We are freed from letting accomplishments define who, you, who we are. We are freed from letting titles depict that, uh, that we have worth. We are freed from asking cars and houses and vacations to be markers of our identity. We are freed from the identity we get from political tribalism. We are freed from getting our identity from being in charge or in control. We're freed from needing to look strong, prepared, capable, and unafraid. We are freed from needing to hide our weakness and even cover up and deny our failures. We are freed from putting on a public face to hide what's going on inside because we don't get our value from how others respond to us we are freed from bitterness and fantasies of vengeance when we are mistreated now all of these benefits that i'm talking to you about today have implications for our relationship with ourselves, for our relationship with others and our relationship with god and so identity sets us free why are we working so soren kierkegaard who was a Danish philosopher who wrote under a pseudonym <laughs> often because of his love uh, for a woman who rejected him. He was a big broken heart. But Soren was really smart. And Soren said this, he said, sin, sin is ultimately trying to carve out an identity and find an identity apart from Christ. That's what sin is. And so you're walking around like me you like to be approved of. Preachers are the worst about this. We're the worst about this. Seeking the approval of others, wanting to be praised, looking for glory, although we will humbly insist we don't want it. But when we don't get it, we drive home, crawl in a dark room in a corner, and suck our thumbs. Unless you understand <laughs> justification by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Identity huge many believers are blind to what they've been given in Christ and run from relationship to relationship job to job location to location church to church searching for identity believers who don't understand the right here right now blessings 
of God's grace spend themselves into hopeless debt in search of an identity. Parents who fail to understand the nowism of the gospel of justifying grace put the burden of their identity on their children, a terrible burden for a child to bear. Back in the 60s, I had long hair. Now, I couldn't have long hair as long as I was involved in sports or the coach would kick you off the team. But the minute the season was over, I never got another haircut. Now, my mother, who loved me, and I have no doubt that she loved me, told me not to come to work where she worked with my long hair because it would make the men she knew she worked with say terrible things about me. And I said, well, I could care less what your guys at work say. It wasn't because of Jesus. It was because of my pride and arrogance. But you can see how these things become ways in which we get conflicted inside. We end up, uh, even pastors forget the gospel when they preach and ask for ministry to give them the identity and end up beaten down, discouraged, and burned out. It is sweet, a sweet gift of God's justifying grace that we have a stable identity that will last forever. Another benefit that we get is fellowship and Christian fellowship and community. Justification cr creates believers and so creates fellowship. And the trouble with most churches is that we deny or ignore justification. And church becomes more like a club and, and it's a uh, typical club spirit more than it does reflect the spirit and sharing in of Christ. Sometimes the problem is with a, a company of true believers uh, who are nervous because they feel less gifted than those around them. You know, I've, I've heard, I don't know this, but I've heard that many people, there's one element of that, our worship service that they absolutely hate. Guess what it is? Greeting. They don't like to greet one another. Now, I understand by temperament, some of you are not outgoing and you're not engaging. But by temperament, rather, you're a little bit introverted and that makes you uncomfortable. But if you truly get your justification and you truly understand it, you can fake it till you make it. No, but you can. <laughs> you can learn that, you know, you're not going to drop dead by saying hello to someone. And those of you who are just big glory hogs and, and never stop talking, God, my mother told me God gave you one mouth and two ears because he, he wants you to listen more, two times more than you speak. And sometimes we glory in that... It, it cuts two ways, but once 
all of these things that give us our identity, all of these things that are part of our pride are, are beginning to be subjected to the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification as he applies the benefits of the imputed righteousness of Christ to us as well as his atoning death, we become more and more liberated from that kind of fear and failure. Failure is a huge fear, I think most of us have. Um, and so, first, uh, in our churches, sometimes we can look down on others who don't measure up to what we think is uh, biblical Christianity. But justification has a way of giving us authenticity or realism. Justification tells the truth about what is in all of us, and it prepares us to be realistic in life and to adjust our expectations. It deals with those who are still sinful, though accepted. It prepares us to make allowances for failure. This does not mean that we lower our standards, but that we criticize ourselves first. If I can accept God's view of myself, I can accept others. Self-judgment makes for sympathy and understanding. If your sin is, that's why Luther said we're always to have an attitude of repentance over our own sin all the time because a repentant person is a compassionate person. A person who's aware of their own sin is not likely to despise you for yours. And so we're able to live with authenticity. We can uh, be free to be delivered from any kind of tribalism, any kind of uh, I'm better than you-ism. Another benefit, and we're about to get to the end, is gratitude. Sin is self-centered, causes us to be self-focused, self-absorbed, self-obsessed. Paul says Jesus came that we would no longer live for ourselves. But because sin is self-centered, complaint is more natural for us than gratitude. Here again, the doctrine of justification is transformative. One of the beautiful fruits of this doctrine is a profound sense of gratitude. Gratitude. You know, you're living out of the gospel of justification by grace through faith when you wake up in the morning and say to yourself, my marriage isn't all that it could be. I have concerns about my children and my finances are scaring me to death at times. But I'm completely forgiven. And I am unfailingly and uh, eternally loved. It's a love I didn't deserve. It's a love I could have never earned. This will shape gratitude in us. Gratitude is beautiful. We become grateful and filled with gratitude when we come to understand that who we are and what we have is not about what we have done, but what has been done for us by Christ. Gratitude means you understand that your biggest blessings are gifts of love and not wages that you have earned. Gratitude looks up and remembers. People who are grateful for God's redeeming love tend to be joyful people. And so gratitude is one of the strong marks of getting and understanding the gospel. You become a more grateful person. You're less disposed to complaining and grumbling and mumbling in the tents, as Israel did 
with Moses' leadership. They were constantly uh, grumbling. The Greek word for mumbling or grumbling is gogitsu or gogitsumai, which sounds like grumbling. Gogitsumai, gogitsumai, gogitsumai. It's an old joke. Freedom. Here's another benefit. Freedom. A beautiful, heart-liberating, life-changing, joyful-producing fruit of the doctrine of justification is freedom. It really does set us free. But do you carry that freedom into every space of your life? The justifying mercies of Christ has set us free from the burden of the law. Jesus said to people who were trying to be justified by the law, Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you will thrive, for I am lowly and gentle in heart. There's a freedom. There's a freedom that is in reality slavery to Christ. We have been slaves to everything else but him, but now we're liberated to be freed to a much more gracious master we have peace with God full access to relationships with him uh, even though in this life we never measure up so we have acceptance with God it frees us from the paralyzing burden of guilt and shame no longer do we live in regret dragging the heavy load of our past sins into our pres present and future no longer do we have to hide in fear uh, of the hammer of God's anger coming down on us. No longer do we have to become burden, do the burdensome work of denying, minimizing, hiding our sin, working to make our sin feel in our heart as less than sinful. No longer do we have to defend our own righteousness. When people near us lovingly confront us with wrong, redeeming grace has freed us from these burdens. So you're really free. You no longer have to carry the burden of shame. Jesus shattered shame on the cross. We are no longer stained, no longer dirty, no longer scarred by sin. Because of justifying grace, our record is spotless. And we are as righteous as Jesus in God's eyes. We don't have to go through life like Charles Atlas bearing the world on our shoulders, burdened down, slump-backed, protecting ourselves, fearing rejection, being unwanted or unworthy. We are children of the King. And it frees us from the burden of fear. Grace means we're no longer enemies. Grace means God is for us. And if God is for us, who in the universe can be against us that matters? No one. No matter where we are, no matter who we're with, no matter what we're facing, the Lord Almighty is with us, and he wakes us every morning to new mercies. One more, and we'll put a fork in it. Justification gets rid of insecurity truly grasped and understood, truly meditated upon, truly applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, it delivers us from the effects of insecurity. And justification alone can provide that remedy. 
A crippling sense of insecurity in a person can wreak havoc in his social life or her church. The only lasting solution is a deep and abiding conviction that one is altogether justified in the sight of God through faith in Christ alone. Insecurity makes it difficult to acknowledge and appreciate the accomplishment of others. Do you find it hard to compliment other people with a genuine heart? Do you find that to be true? Uh, or do you have to pick apart anybody who you think is stealing the spotlight from you? This is how pastors are the worst. I remember somebody asked me one time what I thought of Tim Keller. And I said, I hate him. And I love him. He said, why do you hate him? Because I'm never going to be able to preach as effectively and powerfully and brilliantly as he does never i know that i will never be able to do that that makes me hate him on the other hand his ministry has had such a powerful influence in my life of helped me understand the very things we're talking about this morning and i love him for that but the insecurity in me hates him for that you have that going on with anybody in your life who you're just a little bit jealous of who is stealing your thunder raining on your parade, taking away your reputation and glory. That's insecurity. Justification takes that away from you. Truly understood. You ever been around highly gifted, highly capable people who are just scary, smart, scary, competent, and they're the most insecure human beings you've ever seen in your life? And you're looking at them going, what? Justification will enable us to be delivered from that insecurity. It makes it difficult. So these are some of the grand benefits. There are about seven or eight more I could tell you about, but these are the main ones. And if you get these, I mean, you know, the glory of God is upon you. But that's what, that's what sanctification is. When we say it's getting used to your justification, Luther said that, what he means is you go back and look at the benefits and it just has a way of calming you down, dealing with your anxieties, fears, dealing with all the negative emotions that rob us of joy in Christ. Why are so many of us lethargic and dull and going through the motions and not really pursuing Christ with all of our hearts because we don't understand this. You don't, under, you, don't, you don't get it yet. And the gospel is not gotten in one fell swoop. Martin Luther said, I've been teaching it. I've been preaching it. I've been telling it to people for 25 years and yet every single day I get up and look for something to haggle with God that he owes me something because I've been good. He said I'd do it every day. Which is why you need to repent every day. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this truth. We pray 
that our understanding of it and grasp of it would cause us to flourish. That truly, by sinking our roots deep in this particular truth, there are more. The gospel isn't merely justification. It is that. It's more than that. But this is foundation, ground zero. So, Lord, I know the only way people who are going to benefit from this and get their benefits straight from justification will be because you will take them and teach them this through suffering, through uh, blessing, uh, through being in your presence daily. Now, Father, because we have been justified by grace alone and through faith alone in Christ alone, may we give as people with joy, not because we feel like we have to impress you with how generous we are, but because we're overwhelmed with how good you are to us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.